Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 321, 321 of the Fun With Cars Motorsports Podcast, or episode 8 of 2022. I'm Robin Warner, and today I'm joined by the man who thinks he's better than me just because he has a job, Christopher Roche. Hey, Chris. You have a job too, mate. I, I uh, watch and read all your fantastic content and listen I, to it, of I, course. I work. I, I I do things. I don't know if it counts as a job. It's Thursday afternoon, <laughs> April 14th, and we're going to talk about the Australian Grand Prix and also touch on the Grand Prix of Long Beach IndyCar Race. Uh, but first, Chris, I have a correction. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Are you ready for this? Yeah, is it is it one of mine or yours? The correction is that I mistakenly made no mistakes and have no corrections. Everything you and I said last time was perfect, and now we don't have a way to continue the theme on. So uh, we're going to have to make some mistakes just so we keep this thing going. Well, well done us. Should we talk some uh, F1 news? Well, uh, you did. Uh, there's this brilliant segue I have all planned. Oh, I'll sorry. tell you. I'll tell you who did not have a perfect weekend. That was Canada <laughs> in Australia. Oh. Oh. <laughs> it was not a good weekend for Canada. Um, and if you want to touch on practice things a little bit, that's fine. But I'm talking about how our two Canadian billionaire son drivers could not escape each other they just kept they just kept finding each other in the most hilarious of ways it was amateur hour right there wasn't it and no, uh, can't be these are the 20 best drivers in the world chris there's no one better than these elite athletes and driver talents chris formula one is the best of the best chris how could it be possible that these aren't anything but the best athletes and the best drivers in the world explain it to me well, it's tricky. Um, Stroll was, was found to be at fault, uh, mainly because he just veered to the right when there was a car yeah, alongside him. Because it was his fault. That's why he was blamed. It but, was his fault. But, but I spent some time trying to understand what Latifi was doing, and that wasn't entirely clear either. He seemed to be navigating parts of the circuit that, yeah, normally wouldn't go. So he was, I mean, it all started off with him sort of, hiding in an access road so stroll bimbles past him right <laughs> thinking the guy's having a picnic or something who knows what he's doing right and then all of a sudden nick's off in a hurry he's off on a mission trying to pass stroll again and stroll of course can't use the mirrors and weaves around anyway at the best of times so yeah they collected each other the williams was well, that was an expensive old crash um, and it was something that Aston Martin can well do without because they've been having some rough, uh, rough old times with their cars with dreadful, accident damage and reliability. Dreadful weekend for Aston Martin. I mean, dreadful start to the season for Aston Martin, and this weekend certainly did not improve things. Yeah, it's, uh, Latifi has had a torrid start this year, hasn't he? Uh, you have to wonder if the money he's bringing is has already been used up. <laughs> Maybe he needs to bring more money. <laughs> Or maybe they need to put someone else in that car. But he's not... I mean, we've talked about this a few times. I mean, he started to become respectable last year, but it's just... It's been a disaster all the way yeah. around. Though I, I I, genuinely think... So, first of all, I completely agree that was Stroll's fault on Saturday because, yeah, he let you by, but he was obviously still on a warm-up lap himself. Keep your eyes... Keep your eyes on your mirrors. Keep glancing in your mirrors. And also, don't randomly jut hard to the right, ever. I mean, this like, why would you do that? That that was just nonsensical, what Schroll did. Whether there was a car there or not, why he just randomly jerked the wheel to the right just seemed foolhardy to me. What Latifi was doing was bizarre, and if he had thought through it better, it wouldn't have happened, but... What he was doing, he was letting other people buy, and he was getting out of the way, and then he was going to start speeding up, then Stroll sunk in as well. It is what it is, but then Stroll was still on a warm-up lap himself, and Latifi wanted to get going, so he started moving, and we ended up with the situation we ended up in. Now, 
I am not arguing that Latifi was perfect this weekend. I'm just saying that particular instant I, I feel was 80% stroll. But there is he he just seems to be Latifi does just not up to this car. And his inexperience is showing. But I have to be honest with you, Stroll's not looking that much better. <laughs> no, no. They, I mean, so they, they lined up 19th and 20th on the grid. To be fair, um, Stroll finished 12th and Latifi 16th. They weren't. Well, Latifi was... Stroll was, was banging in everybody. I mean, okay. <laughs> Stroll was not, did not have a clean race to finish 12th. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. So, so we've we've been unable to do the uh, the corrections part of the pot, but it seems like you've you've unearthed a new section that we haven't had for a while, or, or revisited an old section that we haven't had for a while, which is your hatred of Canadian drivers in general. And you are <laughs> you are on your soapbox today, right? I mean, this is started Listen. straight off with a full on full on blast attack against both of them. All right. Well, okay. Uh, tell me this. <laughs> Defend Canada. Go for it. Oh, I love Canada. I love visiting Canada. I love Canada, close. too. I love Canada as well. And there's many Canadian drivers that I love. Uh-huh. Name name three. Patrick Carpentier, uh, Alex Tagliani, um, Robert Wickens. Boom! Oh. Well, well done, but I still, I still reel at the thought that you never rated your Villeneuve. I mean, just extraordinary no, statement that listen, was. I'm listen, still, I'm I, still reeling. Gilles no, Villeneuve fully respect his talent, fully respect his talent, and his ability to just go for it. It's his style of driving isn't my preferred style. He was not the smoothest of drivers. He just, he just kind of. He was just all in all the time, no matter what. And you have to respect it, especially when he brought the talent that he did. It's just not the style I am uh, uh, married to, I suppose. I will say, though, you're missing a a fundamental point here. They livened up practice. It was entertaining. (laughs) And that's what the Canadians bring to this party, right? They bring entertainment. I mean, there's not a race weekend that goes by without Stroll doing all the TV doing something daft, and it gives us uh, something to chuckle about and uh, and some amusement. So, uh, you know, great. Thanks, guys. Right. I I do think that uh, Williams should get Hulkenberg uh, on the phone, though. That I think your point was very good, and that's something to consider. Now, I you know Latifi. What I love about Latifi is not only is he Canadian, he's a non-Quebecois Canadian. So we have an actual, you know. American similar uh, sounding voices. So it's nice to get the non-accented um, uh, American uh, similar voice uh, accent. Oh, I, I do I do like that. And I, you know, it's so great. So it's just I, French Canadians you dislike then? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> but I, I, you know, Otmar, Otmar has basically an American style accent. And uh, okay. I love it when he speaks, but, you know, uh, to get a driver with that voice is is always nice. I have no idea where you're going with this. I mean, to me, I judge these guys on their ability to to drive cars really, really fast and to race each that's, other. That's How they also sound. I mean, important, maybe my, like my second or third most important criteria for a driver. It's accent is, first. Well, oh, accent is first. Accent is first. The amount of Canadianness is second. <laughs> and then driving talent. That's third, I think. One of my favorite drivers of all time, Nigel Mansell. I mean, you could literally fall asleep listening to one of his interviews. I mean, it was so monotone, so whingy. <laughs> In fact, he did, a, he did an interview the other day, and I struggled to listen to it because everything's so half, the glass is half empty. It's extraordinary, you know? He wasn't happy when he won the championship. It's like, my God, Nigel. You know, but yet, yet, some of my favorite, you know, I love going back to some of his amazing overtakes. Some of his racing was extraordinary. And so that's why I like Nigel. It's not how he sounds out of the car. Oh, okay. Well, agree to disagree. So, uh, we're missing about- the big picture, though. The big news from the weekend, Robin. Oh, what underwear were the drivers wearing? And were they fireproof or not? And how much jewelry were they, were, were they uh, adorned with? 
those are the big questions that are being tackled by our new race directors. That's the fundamental heart of the problem with this sport. What yes, are the pants like? we're getting to the root of it, aren't we? <laughs> did you see Pierre Gasly's quotes? Well, no, fantastic. No, it was please. Like they can check whatever they want, and he then started to uh, name off parts of his anatomy that would normally be covered by his underwear. He said they can check this and that, whatever they want to check. <laughs> So Gasly's looking forward to it, I think. Was he at a brothel? Where was he that he decided that these things may need to be inspected? Look, I mean, these guys are getting into the details of every item that you're wearing or that's being pierced through your anatomy. And there's lots of places you can get pierced. So maybe if if you're rocking a Prince Albert... They want to know about it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. All right. So, hey... The, there were some uh, uh, cars on the track as well, too. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about that for a moment? <laughs> the um, my my next my next line item on my uh, little list here was the luck that was also not very good for Carlos Sainz this weekend, and I'm quite curious where you chalk it up to between uh, luck and his own mistakes. Well, look, I mean, let's go. Let's let's talk a little bit about qualifying. So. You know, the Ferrari was no doubt working extremely well around Albert Park and, and Charles uh, did a brilliant job of, of using that car and, and dominated qualifying. Um, but yeah, I mean, the sad thing for Carlos was he was right there with Charles uh, through to Q2 and was was pacey and, and looked like he was going to have a good weekend. Whether or not he would he would have got pole, uh, we'll never know. But, uh, but it certainly looked like he would have been if not on the front row, he would have been on the front two rows of the grid if everything had gone cleanly. So we get into Q3 and, and he's out on his first uh, run and the red flag um, caused him to not be able to do that lap. Like just so as he wasn't... was getting to the last last or penultimate corner. I mean, he was it was right towards the end when it happened. So he really got unlucky there. Yeah, super unfortunate. Nothing that he or the team could have done there. So never mind. I mean, again, you still got enough pace in the car. You think, well, we just get a clean run in and we'll be fine. And then so they then had a problem. I mean, everyone's been talking about the fantastic reliability of the Ferrari, but they couldn't start it. So when they wanted to go out for his uh, his final attempt or his only attempt in Q3, they, they, they struggled to get the car going, which caused a delay. So then he got out on track later than they wanted, which meant that his... Uh, his war, his tire prep lap wasn't ideal, and then uh, and then he never got the tires in the right operating temperature, and so he struggled on his lap and and qualified you know way down in ninth place. So you know you could argue that's a little bit of him. Maybe he should have been able to cope with that situation better, but it's certainly partly down to the team as well, right? So a little bit of both there. Um, it's shocking that. You know, it's, you look at the advantage that the Ferrari has, certainly on, on that weekend, and you would have thought, even with a bad lap, he would have out-qualified the likes of Norris and Hamilton, who, who ended up fourth and fifth. Um, but yeah, I guess those tyres, are you know, when they're not switched on, they really don't give you much grip or, or confidence at all. And these cars are, are much harder to drive, obviously, as we've talked about than, than previous generations. So um, yeah, that was very tough on Carlos. But then... You know, he compounded that bad luck and an unfortunate circumstance in the race. I mean, he was totally to blame for his downfall in the race, I think. Um, there's not really well, much he can, he can push onto the team. There was a, the, the very start of the race, I think, I thought that was chalked up to a car issue. that Not his mistake, but there was something where the car did this odd anti-stall, wouldn't launch as it was supposed to. I mean, you could see it wasn't that he had a poor start and people passed him, is that he didn't move at all for the first, you know, 250 milliseconds. And that's why everybody passed. I mean, it was just, it was a horrid start. I didn't, it wasn't like his foot slipped off the clutch because uh, it's a hand clutch to start. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, that's a good point. I didn't pick up on that. I knew he was on the harder compound tire. And so most of those around him were on the, I think, the mediums. So I, I figured it was just down to the amount of grip he had at the launch. But, you know, if that is something that they reported, then fair enough. Then the start wasn't down to him. Um, but then what he was trying to do by making places on, 
on harder rubber than than those he was racing around. That, that was definitely down to him. I mean, he was he was impetuous, wasn't he? He tried yeah. he tried a pass that was probably ill advised, and uh, you know it was on he was at turn nine on uh, on on Zhao and uh, got it all wrong, went off uh, across the track into the into the gravel and couldn't get out. I mean, that was. That was a rookie error, and Carlos is better than that. I mean, clearly he was feeling the pressure um, that ultimately, when your teammate has won and comes second already this season, you're, you're gonna. And with Ferrari's history of of wanting to prioritise a single driver for the championship, he probably realised he was right on the back foot and needed to, to to come back quickly in order to you know salvage something from his weekend. And unfortunately, it all went horribly wrong. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's been a, it, it was a shame to watch because last year he was such a consistent driver and just continuously improving and finding new areas and just kind of and this this was definitely not that this was there was a little bit of desperation in his driving I think you could say yeah um, just trying to salvage a weekend that had just given him one bad hand after another and then yeah to end up in the gravel trap was just kind of a depressing end to the whole thing. Yeah, it is. It is. It is uh, such a shame because I think he he probably had the pace to still finish second if he'd just you know gone a bit more cautiously at the start and picked people off, you know, on the on the main straight or other more obvious overtaking opportunities. I think he would have definitely, especially with Verstappen's uh, DNF. I think he had the pace to catch everybody else and pass them because Perez was only what, three or four seconds up the road from Russell at the end. So, and, yeah. and the safety cars would have brought them back together. Of course, he didn't know that that was going to happen at that time. But the, the point is uh, he, needed to, he needed to work more methodically and not try and take everyone on the first couple of laps. So, yeah, I, I'm sure he'll bounce back. Carlos is made of strong stuff, and I, I, have, I have no doubt he will come back, and I'm pretty sure he will win a race or two this year. But I think, I think the championship... Really, is gonna if a Ferrari driver is gonna win it, it's gonna be his teammate this year. So we'll uh, the speed that we were seeing from the Ferraris was quite impressive, and that was despite some pretty obvious porpoising in in at the end of straights in certain places. And porpoising was definitely part of uh, Mercedes' woes at well as well. At the same time, there did seem to be a bit of life in Mercedes. They were able to keep it towards the front they were competitive and a little bit quicker than mclaren mclaren was also vastly improved compared to the first two rounds and so it leads to a couple of questions with mclaren it seems like they're getting ahead of their braking issue a little bit mercedes seems to be slowly but surely being able to unwrap the issues with their just fundamental aerodynamics so those issues seem to be coming but what do you think about Mercedes power as well? Were we, are, are, is Mercedes power closer than we maybe had guessed after the first two rounds? Well, so there was an expected upgrade package um, for Australia for Mercedes, at, at least the rear wing, and that never materialized. They ran the same oversized wing uh, that they did in the first two rounds. And, and the explanation for that was given the cost cap, um, it's it made more sense for them to hold off on introducing new parts uh, when we get to Europe. It's much cheaper to get parts out to the cars, obviously in Italy versus Australia. Um, so they've they've held fire and they they basically ran exactly the same fundamentally the same car that they have for, since the beginning. So um, so they still having they still have more drag than they really would be ideal. Uh, given given the porpoising issues that they're suffering and the ride height they're having to run, so that won't have helped them. But but for sure they seem to be making progress in in getting the most out of the car that they do have, and and they were solidly the third quickest car. And I'm going to put a caveat on that. They they you know they maintained that third quickest pace. Now there were other people that were quicker at times during the weekend, notably Fernando Alonso, but. He had a whole other slew of issues that prevented him from really translating that pace into a good result. But but Mercedes have been very reliable um, so far and, and solid, and they certainly looked good value for their third and fourth places. And what fascinated me was, uh, obviously, Lewis managed to jump Sergio at the start. It was a good move, and Sergio had to give way. Um, Lewis was able to hold on to that place for, for quite a few laps, probably like a dozen laps or so. 
And Sergio didn't have too much trouble passing him um, eventually. You know, there's definitely more pace in the Red Bull than the Mercedes at the moment. And, and I just expected Sergio to just disappear. And he did initially. He went a few seconds up the road. But on that first stint, when they were both running medium compound tyres, Hamilton came back at him towards the end of that stint. The Mercedes uh, was much kinder to its tyres than the Red Bull was. And, you know, Lewis had a, had a you know, couple of looks before Sergio dived into the pits for his hard tyres. So that was really interesting that uh, the, the Mercedes... Um, in that first stint was competitive with Sergio and the Red Bull. Um, yeah. So there's definite promise there, I think. They just need to make some real progress on unlocking this porpoising issue. And they were running sensors on Lewis's car during the race to understand you know, the ride height, um, obviously at different points of the track uh, as the fuel load uh, comes off. So, so they'll, they've yeah, been collecting a lot of data. That's one heck of a data. test session. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it added a little bit of weight, but... Uh, but, you know, they just need to understand this problem and, and figure out the best way to solve it, uh, to unlock the performance in the car. So, you know, again, uh, it's shocking. Mercedes are second, you know, Russell's second in the driver's standings. They're second in the constructor's standings. So considering they're so far off the ultimate pace, particularly of Ferrari and Red Bull, um, they really haven't done a bad job in maximizing, you know, what they have. And if they can start to get the car working better, um, over the course of the next 20 rounds, they could still yet be a threat. I don't think it's uh, time to write them off just yet. I think they, they've, done, they've done pretty well considering, you know, they're really not competitive. Yeah, and I think you have to give credit to Mercedes for getting better understanding of their package and to George Russell, who, you know, had a bit of a, bit of a mess up in the first round qualifying, but has really been a quite solid addition to the team a very mature addition to the team a very tall addition to the team i mean the average height a mercedes had to go up toto was carrying all that weight on his own for a while um so i think that mercedes as a team seems to be structured well so just as you're saying if they can unlock their performance that they could still well be a threat and there we have red bull who's Obviously has a quick and capable car, has an incredible engine, and incredible speed when the car works. And now we're talking uh, Max Verstappen DNF'd two out of the first three rounds. So Red Bull's got this, like, there's this, like, weird thing where we're seeing reliability versus speed between Mercedes and Red Bull. And right now, Mercedes is winning that battle. Well, and Horner was going on about, you know, I'd much rather have a, a fast car that's unreliable than a yeah. reliable car that's slow. Right. But right. his car wasn't that quick around Albert Park either. I mean, Perez's fastest lap was eight-tenths of a second slower than Charles's, set on the, the same lap. You know, it was unreliable and it wasn't, you know, able to compete for the win. That That's not great it, in at In race all. pace anyway, it did seem to struggle more, certainly. A, a qualifying pace, obviously Red Bull was right there. Well, it was still, I mean, Charles's pole was about three-tenths, right? So that's a decent that's, old margin in quality. That's decent. Yeah, you're right. Um, but, yeah, really very notably greater race pace as well. And, you know, you're right about the Ferrari porpoising. It's not, it's not even perfect yet. So if they, can, if they can improve that condition, then, you know, how much more pace will they have over the rest of the field at, by, by that time? I mean, it's, it's a bit scary for everyone else. So... I mean, at the moment, Ferrari and Charles look in a class of their own. They really do. And uh, everyone else has got to, uh, got to catch up. And the, the worrying thing about for Red Bull is it's another fuel issue. You know, it was a fuel pump that put both him and Sergio out in round one. This time it was a fuel leak. Um, ah, really, really odd situation uh, for, for Red Bull and, and uh, their new powertrain unit and, and the Honda guys that are still supporting them to deal with. I mean, it just seems like real basic sort of issues that, that's uh, stymieing them at the moment. So, yeah, not ideal. Max was not happy and, um, and justifiably so. I mean, he's way down and he got 25 points uh, compared to Charles's 71. So, yeah, it's, it's, he's right on the back foot. Charles has got the biggest lead. Um, he's got a bigger lead now uh, than anyone had during the course of the 21 championship, just to put it into perspective. So he's got a massive, massive old advantage as we head towards, you know, a home race for him. I mean, the, the Italian fans are going to be out in force um, at Imola and they will be uh, absolutely loving Ferrari being on top. Yeah. Oh, God. Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. There's no, 
no doubt that there will be a lot, a lot of Ferrari red in uh, Imola. So uh, it, it, they're going into this season with momentum. And, I, and I, I think I said this a couple podcasts ago. I just want to repeat it once more. It has been just long enough since the Michael Schumacher crazy dominance era that we can really appreciate this again and appreciate Ferrari's history and also in their more recent history how much they've struggled, how many team principals they've gone through, drivers they've gone through, this world champion, that world champion, and on and on. So to finally see everything come together again for Ferrari, it's been long enough that I, I, I'm just feeling refreshment from it again. I, and I think that Leclerc is a driver that you can get behind. I respect his maturity and approach to things. Uh, I obviously think highly of Carlos Sainz. I talk about him a lot. And, you know, Bonato seems to be proving his mettle here for 2022. And you have to respect how much he dealt with in 20 and 21 that he survived it to show this in 2022. So all of that is for the good. I mean, just to be clear, you don't have to go back to the Schumacher era for Ferrari's last success. Obviously, they won championships in 2007, 2008, and they were very close with Alonso in uh, what Yeah, was yeah, yeah. I mean... Schumacher even, was through '06. Through yeah, yeah. Schumacher, but, and and Kimi Raikkonen won, kind of more or less because of McLaren's woes as much as anything. But uh, you, right, I'm just like they were just incredibly dominant through uh, 2000 through 2004. Right, they were still right. very competitive up until yeah. That's that's the only difference. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, some some think that they even had the quickest car in sort of 17 and 18, right? When Vettel made a hash of his championship challenge. So, um, but but you're right. I mean, Ferrari have sort of been, uh, they've never had a, a position of strength like they do, you know, this, this season. Where it looks like, you know, if they can keep this going um, and uh, just develop the car, uh, not make too many mistakes, keep the reliability strong, which, you know, Charles has finished three races comfortably uh, uh, so far, um, whereas other teams seem to be struggling. You know, there's, there's every chance that they can they can break. Well, when, well, they didn't score a single title in the last decade, right? So so you have to go back to the noughties since they last won a championship. So, yeah, yeah it's been 2007 a run, drivers, right? so 2008 years, constructors. 14, 15 years? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. no, I mean, it, it's exciting times for Ferrari. And I think, I mean, I really hope that they don't turn around and impose team orders. And if Carlos is leading, that they give they give Carlos a chance to to take advantage of this car and, and to chalk up a couple of wins. But, um, but you know, because that was the thing that depressed me most about the, the early 2000s with Michael was that his teammate was, was not allowed to ever win. And even when Schumacher had you know, a 100-point advantage, uh, which was a bit absurd. So hopefully they don't go back to those times. I mean, it'd be great to see, you know, what an exciting season we'll have if you've got Charles and Carlos both able to win races. And then, you know, we've, we've certainly got Sergio Perez much more competitive this year. So with two Red Bulls and hopefully with the Mercedes guys up there and then maybe even Alonso fighting for wins or, and, and maybe Orlando. I mean, that would be an epic season. So I just hope we don't have some silly situation where teams impose team orders too early let's let all these guys actually race and, and earn the wins on merit yeah yeah absolutely absolutely right it was interesting they were talking about how australia would be a less engine dependent track and yet in qualifying trim they were averaging more than 150 miles an hour uh, in the top guys and um there was uh obviously plenty of speed and then in the race itself I think we are now three for three where we're seeing the cars follow each other much closer and race much more competitive throughout the grid. So we saw a lot of really good mid-pack battles throughout the race. Alfa Romeo is definitely a real contender. Alpine is definitely a real contender. And uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch. Oh, and McLaren was much more alive uh, in Australia than they had been in the Middle East so far. Well, Alonso was a revelation. I mean, if he'd been able to complete a Q3 time, he might have been he might have been on the second or third row himself. And um, you know, certainly, um, 
showed some pace in in the race as well. Uh, but um, yeah, they got to they got to get on top of that reliability because if they can, I think you know the Alpine and certainly Fernando might be in the mix, which would be great. I mean, that's what he's wanted for so long—a competitive F1 car. Um, so and to be fair, <laughs> Ocon wasn't far off. I mean, obviously yeah. it wasn't Alonso's pace, but Ocon Ocon was there or thereabouts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, not quite. Not quite at the same level, but yeah, certainly respectable. I agree with you. Um, yeah, and I mean, as you said, I mean, what a what a transformation for McLaren. I mean, this was the team that were right at the back at round one. And Norris qualifies in fourth, and they backed that up with fifth and sixth in the race. Um, you know, I mean, and that would have just been sixth and seventh if Verstappen had finished. So, big big improvement for McLaren. Looks like they're going in the right direction. They're they're going to be bringing new things to the car. Uh, when we get to Europe as well. So definitely a fill-up for them. And, of course, it was great to see Daniel so close to Norris's pace. So, you know, if both of those are close to extracting the maximum from the car, then, you know, the rest of the uh, the grid should look out because those guys won't uh, take too many prisoners. So great to see McLaren bouncing back up. You know, they had, they had um, strong pace in the first uh, pre-season test, so it was a surprise to see them struggling so much early on. Um, but now they seem to be getting on top of the issue and, and, and translating that into performance that everyone sort of expected them to start the season with. And uh, David Croft made me giggle uh, towards at the start of the race because he talked about how uh, Valtteri Botas had an uh, uncharacteristically good start. <laughs> and he's like, oh, look, Botas, Botas did well at the start. We don't see that very often. It made me laugh because I, I instantly thought of you and how much you complain about how many times Botas uh, screwed up the start or, you know, fell off pace at the start or whatever. And uh, so uh, to see Botas and Alfa Romeo Orlean, uh, Orlean uh, I'm saying it incorrectly in all the different ways, uh, corrections next week. There we have one. It, it's nice to see them in the mix as well. Well, yes, but the man I was watching was uh, good old Alex Albon. I mean, what a drive that was. I mean, he, oh, man, he uh, definitely so. started uh, way at the back because he got disqualified after qualifying because he, he ran out of fuel on this slowdown lap and they couldn't get the necessary fuel out of the car to be able to test it. So he got disqualified. So he starts at the back and he just decides to run and run on those hard tires. Uh, yeah, all, until know, literally the last lap. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and I thought that was going to put him out of the points, but he managed to nick 10th place. And the great thing was he was showing real pace. I mean, it wasn't like it was uh, uh, complete luck. I mean, the, the Williams on the hard tires through the middle part of that race was definitely on the midfield ultimate pace. I mean, he was he was competitive with all those around him, including uh, Ocon and Botas and, and, uh, and those guys. And that's fantastic. So great to see Williams... Uh, score a point and great to see uh, signs of life and Alex has certainly uh, shown the faith placed in him that he was deserving of a, an F1 drive and so that's good to have him back and, and performing strongly so only Aston Martin hasn't scored yet um, and you know they were they were fairly close in in um, one of the earlier rounds right I think they were just outside the points in 12th place in, in Bahrain so you know the reality is we've got We've got a reasonably competitive group of cars. No one's no one's completely off the back like we had last in the last couple of seasons, where Hazel Williams were were just woefully slow. And so that's great. And and it looks like the midfield order is is just constantly being reshuffled based on you know how well the cars set up and how well the guys are driving them. So it's it's great great to see the competitive order you know you know ramped up a little bit for this season. So we're going to be headed to Europe. It's going to be the Italian Grand Prix question mark because I, I i would assume that monza would still be the italian grand prix but it, it the the title was about 10 words of italian and i was like uh, so it'll be in imola i'll just say that and yeah it's not uh, the san marino it's not the san marino grand prix which is what it used to be called way back in the 90s right um, right and if you go to the f1 website it just shows it's an italian grand prix exactly so i guess we'll just have two this year uh, so that's why I put Italian Grand Prix question mark in my notes. I'm like, well, I suppose there's no technical reason like spring Italian. Anyway, it's at Imola. It's April 22nd through the 24th. So we've got a week off of Formula One, and that's what we're going into next. Um, this was a very busy weekend of racing. 
Oh, hang um, on, hang on, hang on. Just the, so there is some F1 news we do need to cover real quick. Um, okay. So the Volkswagen board apparently approved both Audi and Porsche to enter Formula One in 2026 when the new engine regs come out, um, which is which is pretty big news. And, and the rumours are that uh, Audi has been trying to buy McLaren. Um, and so far, their their bids have not been enough, and and uh, so there's no agreement. Um, so they're also talking to Sauber, um, and uh, and well, if they Aston can't Martin. afford McLaren, they definitely can't afford Sauber. They should talk to Michael Andretti <laughs> about that. <laughs> right. Um, Sauber seems Porsche's... to be the most logical one, and then I yeah, would exactly. I, I would think that I would actually think that Williams uh, would be on the table as well, actually. Yeah, that's right. There's close ties there with Jos Capito uh, being a former VW man. Um, and then Porsche being rumoured to be tying up with Red Bull, I think just purely in a, in a powertrain supply arrangement there, but um, probably just badging the, uh, the Red Bull developed engines. Uh, but yeah, that's that's pretty exciting uh, for the sport to have, you know, obviously one of the biggest manufacturers in the world uh, enter it because uh, we've lost a few in the last well, few years. And, to uh, enter it twice. <laughs> well, that's right. I don't, I, I don't quite understand the logic of that, to be honest with you. I, I never quite understood when they were competing against each other in sports cars. And then they went and competed against each other in Formula E, didn't they? And, and now they're going to do the same in Formula 1. But yeah, it's, it's mysterious. I guess you, you get two marketing bangs for your... Your engineering book, right? When you well, uh, and, and Porsche is, is is fiercely independent uh, amongst that group. They they strive, they work really hard to have a level of autonomy, uh, at least as you say in the marketing side of things. I mean, you know, in the '90s, Porsche was trying to buy Volkswagen, and uh, the way the market worked out, they kept driving up Volkswagen's price, and that hurt Porsche's uh, bottom line. And that dropped Porsche's price, and Volkswagen swooped in and bought Porsche. <laughs> so that's how that's all that all that went down, you know, back back in the twentieth century. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So uh, I don't think Audi. You'd have to go back to uh, pre-war days for Arrows uh, for Audi's last um, foray into Formula One, wouldn't you? But uh, Porsche's been in more recently, yeah, so they were, and and they weren't even Audi. That was the, you know Auto Union back then that's right exactly um but for porsche they were they were in formula one as recently as the early 90s um which was a bit of an ignominious entry because they were they powered the well you could power with air quotes the footwork arrows of that year the engine was laughably uncompetitive and overweight Uh, the team had a disastrous season and Porsche exited stage left but they did have a lot of success in the prior decade with mclaren with the tag Porsche branded engines. Um, so they, they managed to win two constructors and three drivers championships during that period and 25 wins from 83 to 87. So Porsche's uh, been there and done that in Formula One before, but they were uh, they were rather embarrassed in the 90s and uh, they, their wounds in sports cars for a while. And now they're back after, a, well, it'll be about a 35-year hiatus, won't it? But, um, but yeah, great news for Formula One if that, that gets firmed up. I guess the final decision will be uh, maybe October of this year. Yeah, something to keep an eye on for sure. So, um, okay, time to go stateside. IndyCar. Mm. It was, it's one of the big IndyCar races, and this one was yet another thriller. You know, Long Beach has just a real interesting, unique set of corners, and one of the, you know, it's kind of like the Monaco hairpin um, of sorts, the tied hairpin onto the front straight of Long Beach. And we had talked a little bit about how Andretti Autosport was just not there at the front. It's been Alganassi or Penske. And sure enough, mm-hmm. Colton Herta stuck his Andretti Autosport car on pole. And uh, Roman Grosjean looked quite competitive as well, as did Alexander Rossi. Now, all of this I'm talking about is kind of towards the beginning of the race. Clearly, Penske and Ganassi were still there, but um, it does seem like that uh, Andretti Autosport was showing a bit of a resurgence at the beginning, at least. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. I mean, he, Grosjean was in the mix right to the, uh, the checkered flag, wasn't he? I mean, he and Newgarden had a pretty good battle, um, and he was certainly competitive. So, yeah, great to see Andretti make it a three-way fight 
uh, and McLaren uh, with Pato Award was also. Uh, You're right. Uh, yeah, SP Arrow McLaren was uh, there yeah. as well, or McLaren SP yeah. McLaren or McLaren SP Arrow, or put an arrow <laughs> in that McLaren. It's it's one something along those lines. Corrections. Oh, we've got corrections. It's going to be back next week. But uh, having said all that, three Penske Chevrolet wins. Bang, bang, bang. Cheers. Yeah, yeah. It was Joseph Newgarden. Joseph Newgarden was right there at the front. He was one challenging. Um, he was challenging Colton towards the beginning. And then, uh, you know, through uh, yellows and uh, pit changes, that kind of stuff, managed to get the lead. And in an attempt to recapture the lead and be at the front, Colton managed instead to collect the wall. Uh, not too dissimilar to what he did in Nashville last year where he clearly had the pace, but he just, he had a little bit of frustration as well. And the red mist was flowing and, uh, and took himself out. And, uh, so that certainly helped it take some of the pressure off of new garden to, uh, maintain the win, uh, maintain the lead and, and, and take the win. So it's a great start of the season for him and obviously brilliant for Penske. Yeah, I was surprised that uh, McCoughlin struggled so badly. He uh, he wasn't really on the pace, was he? All weekend, finished 14th, uh, which means that he drops to second place in the standings, uh, five points behind Newgard. So, you know, he's had a really strong start to his second season in IndyCar, um, but seemed to struggle around Long Beach. I mean, I guess, um, I guess some of these tracks maybe are, are harder to learn than others, right? So maybe uh, two visits isn't enough. You need uh, 10 or so. But uh, Although, in the end, it, Groshon disproves that theory. <laughs> <laughs> in the end, it was uh, Joseph Newgarden winning the race. Roman Grosjean did finish on the podium in second, and Alex Palau um, in third. And that was Penske, Andretti Autosport, Ganassi right there. Then Penske again with Will Power in fourth. There is your McLaren Arrow SP uh, Arrow in the McLaren SP uh, <laughs> Pato Award in fifth. Scott Dixon finished sixth. Graham Rahal, um, so his dad's team, seventh. Alexander Rossi uh, in eighth. Elio Castroneves for Meyer Shank Racing finished in the top ten in ninth. And Kyle Kirkwood uh, rounded out the top ten. Um, there was another driver that, um, I, well, a couple more I wanted to mention. Um, Simon Paginode, he was competitive. He was in the top ten for a long time, but had this weird kind of like kind of mix up with another driver and uh, going down the main straight and ended up kind of like in this like garden area, like <laughs> up yeah. on top of the, um, and so that was a bad Marcus Erickson had some contact that took him out. Oh, and Jimmy Johnson. That was another one to mention. He qualified 25th. He finished 20th because he didn't finish. And uh, it continues. I mean, he wasn't the only one to struggle. Ericsson uh, had a pretty interesting uh, crash as well, didn't he? So he's he in good did, but Ericsson there. was running towards the front, and Ericsson qualified eighth. So yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised by that. Are you? I mean, he did better on the oval. I think we've got on record as saying he's an but oval he, racer. He, we just heard from Dario Franchitti. <laughs> I mean, come on. I thought we were just waiting for that paid advertisement, dude. Oh, darn it. Spoiled a guy. I really believe that one. Um, yeah, I think um, we, we've been optimistic that we thought he was making some headway. Uh, I think we need to just stand by and hope that there's some more progress before too long. Where's the next oval? Well, here's the thing. <laughs> Indianapolis, I'm pretty sure. But uh, here's the thing. Um he is by far still the most marketable driver these days. I mean, That's I see sad, Carvana commercials. I see Carvana commercials all over the place. And uh, there's a good old Jimmy Johnson doing race car things in his race car suit, selling some Carvana stuff. So, uh, I mean, it, this might be, I mean, Ganassi might be, you know, crying all the way to the bank. Uh, it, you know, crying is in air quotes, of course. It's like, yeah, okay, well, Jimmy Johnson's enjoying himself and everyone's making a bunch of money. So why would he be upset? I mean, I appreciate that some of these uh, drivers have funny accents like myself, um, but Joseph Newgarden should be pretty marketable. <laughs> I mean, 
yeah, no one can understand what Scott Dixon says half the time, but New Garden, I mean, why would you be putting him everywhere, all over the TV? Yes, yes. Well, I mean, it's a good point. Uh, you know, uh, I, I think that uh, it's fascinating how that works. I think it shows the power of NASCAR marketing more than anything else, uh, and that Jimmy Johnson's got such a big name that 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 carries through, even though that's been years now. So, who knows? I mean, it'll be interesting to see how it comes. The Indianapolis 500 is a big, big, big showcase, and that is an oval. So that'll be the big thing. But uh, the next race for IndyCar is actually coming May 1st, and it is in Alabama, and that is another road course. Um, so that is a that is a cool, cool track. I've been there a few times myself um, outside of um, Birmingham, Alabama. Different Birmingham, Chris. And... Um, being there myself. Yeah, so it's a good one. And then uh, IMSA, uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about IMSA much, but IMSA did race at Long Beach as well. We'll talk about them just a little bit more next week. They're going to be going to Laguna Seca uh, May 1st. So they're going to have their own premier event. And Laguna Seca is just one of those epic, epic tracks. So that that could be one to watch. It could be quite exciting. Cool. So if Jimmy wins the, the 500, the big one, Will we have to eat lots of humble pie? No. God, no. Are you kidding me? No. No, we definitely won't have to eat any humble pie. I will I will eat maybe a burger. How about that? <laughs> if, if, if Jimmy if Johnson were, wins, we have to eat a hamburger. On Because on, <laughs> don't forget, it's also the Monaco Grand Prix, so it'll be a hamburger and caviar. <laughs> um, if you were a betting man, what would you uh, put down on Jimmy to win it? The 500? Yeah. Um, I'm not very high odds, to be honest. So you wouldn't put much money on it then? No, no, no. I, I, a dollar? I got a dollar. I'll do a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm Besides, pretty sure, I'm not even he's, sure he's got good I'm, odds. I'm not even sure I'm going to have time to watch the Indianapolis 500 because I'm going to be so glued to my screen watching my various YouTube videos. And... Uh, I've got a new one out that you got to see. It's two Hondas in a row. This time it's the Honda Accord Sport 2.0T. This is the uh, least expensive Honda Accord with the more powerful engine. And that more powerful engine is a 252-horsepower, 2-liter uh, turbocharged engine. And uh, it has 273 pound-feet of torque. has a 10-speed automatic transmission, not a CVT. And it, it scoots along quite nicely. I'm shocked. So this is the second car you've reviewed that isn't a CUV. What's going on? How are you getting all these non-CUV cars to test drive? I'm well, selling them still. I, I have now driven them all. <laughs> no, no, we'll definitely be going back to SUVs. So we've got uh, SUV videos are definitely in the pipeline. But uh, in the not too distant future, there will actually be a sports car that I'm driving. So. There's, oh, wow. there's hope yet. Does the Accord handle as well as everyone says it does? Or is it just a mid-sized sedan like everyone thinks it is? It, it, so it's both. It is, it, is, it is definitely a mid-sized sedan, a front-wheel drive mid-sized sedan. There is no escaping that fact. But in that category, it, it handles quite, quite well. Considering that category, it's a gem. So if you had a choice of Miata... Or an Accord driving Highway One, which would you go for? Well, it depends. Is it going to be? Is it going to be just myself, or is it going to be my wife and I and Harrison in the back and luggage? <laughs> because it, it's it's just you and your wife off for a cheeky uh, weekend break and see, with limited hat and luggage. If it is well, okay. See, yeah, that was an important qualifier at the end. Uh, yeah, just two of us, of course. Yeah. A Miata, of course, a Porsche seven one eight, something along those lines would be vastly superior. Okay, just wanted to keep it in perspective when we all just eulogize about the Accord's handling. It is just mildly better than every other midsize sedan. It's not really a sports car, anyway. That's my. It's uh, it's, it's it's. I would say uh, if we're going to go with salsa references here a little bit, I'll say it's medium better than the other. Uh, other can't cars in its class, although oh, wow. although there are moments where there, there's a TRD Camry, and that one's kind of fun. <laughs> so it's just kind of silly that one, but in the in, it's a good silly is my point. Good sounds uh, 
Which sports car did you drive, or is it you're not allowed to tell us? We no, no, wait. no. I, 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 it's it is theoretically in my schedule, and I will drive it in the future. <laughs> so that's that's why I don't want to say anything more right now. I don't want to promise anything until I know that I've done it. So, and it's not, it's not, it's not, uh, it is not a uh, six-figure car or anything like that. Let's uh, keep it all contained. The biggest car news that I could think of in the last couple of weeks was the fact that the one of the ultimate sports car companies that put lightness and handling above all other attributes has now produced their own SUV. Lotus have now launched one that is going to be built in China. I, I, I've looked at pictures of it and I'm a little bit sad, to be honest, about the whole state <laughs> of affairs. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just, I'm, I'm not going to be holding my breath for that, to be, to be honest with you. <laughs> But it's but, such a great brand that you'd love to see come back, right? Lotus is such a wonderful, such a wonderful history, and they made some awesome cars in their day. And they've been struggling for well for a long time now. For a while now, you'd love yeah. to see them come out with some something that could actually uh, steal a few sales from Porsche occasionally. But I'm not sure this is it. This isn't the solution, is it? I would not hold my breath, sir. But yeah. I do want to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcasts. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars. And check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fwcars. Oh, Chris, lunchtime conversation. Great conversation. Thank you, Robin. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye.